morning, church. It's a privilege for me to stand up here today and deliver the word. It's been a privilege for me to be here for the past couple of weeks and uh, serve you guys and um, have Tim alongside me and learn from him. And it's, it's been just a, a great joy and a great privilege for me and a great blessing and um, just getting to know you guys more and more as a congregation stepping alongside and, and serving. It's, it's been amazing, and I'm truly thankful, and you guys have treated me very well, very well. Um, and so I guess since I'm not super well-known with everyone, I'll uh, just give a little bit of an introduction for myself. Um, so I hail from uh, upstate New York, a little city, Utica. And that's where I was born and raised. My parents are originally from Ukraine. They migrated to the States in 98, and a few months later I was born. So I like to call myself semi-national for that reason. Um, but yeah, I grew up speaking Russian, and uh, um, having that kind of cultural influence and being in the cultural bubble has, has really um, been interesting for me. And then coming to, uh, I'm studying at Moody now, and um, I'm going to be entering into my senior year this next semester, so one more to go. And I'm studying biblical languages. And uh, it's been a huge blessing for me to, to be at Moody. Um, I see it as a huge privilege that God has given me, and um, I cherish that opportunity and then that responsibility. And so that's how I got into contact with CF, um, living here in Chicago. And uh, that's how I ended up here. And so it's a little bit about me. And like I said, it's a huge privilege for me to be here today and, and stand before you guys and deliver the word. Um, and I'm going to be preaching from 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, um, if you don't, you could grab one from the seat back in front of you or, or beside you or behind you. And we're going to be reading from, I'll read the passage, and I'll give you guys a moment to get there. It's going to be from uh, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, that is, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'll take a moment to pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you preserved your word for us today to read to meditate upon, to cherish, God. I pray that tonight as I preach your word, Lord, 
Holy Spirit would speak, God. I pray that we learn to glean from your word, God. And not just be knowers, Lord, but doers of God. Not just read, but do, Father, to apply, to make it relevant to our lives. That it would change us and transform us, God. That is the goal. That is the purpose, Father. Let us not forget that. And so to orient us and give us a, a better understanding of this passage, I would like to, I think it would be helpful to give some background information on this letter. So this letter, 2 Timothy, is part of a group of letters called the Pastoral Epistles, or letters. And this includes first, 2 Timothy and also Titus. And um, it's named after their addressees. So these were his co-workers, Timothy and Titus in the faith, um, whom Paul delegated as his, as his leaders to certain areas where, where they were to serve. And so Timothy, he sent to Ephesus and Titus to Crete. And uh, the start of Paul's and Timothy's relationship is detailed in Acts 16. So when Pastor Tim gets there, you guys could hear a little bit more about that. But Paul meets Timothy in Lystra during his second trip. And it says a couple of things about him, some uh, basic biographical facts. So the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Um, his mother was Jewish and his, was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So likely um, they indicate this fact that his faith came from his mother and his father was not a believer. And so Paul decides to take Timothy along with him in his travels. And somewhere along the way, Paul delegates Timothy to be his representative in the city of Ephesus. And this letter was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome, shortly before his execution. And some interesting facts about this book is that it is Paul's last, and also his most personal in its tone. So this letter was written for a couple different reasons, and primarily it was to encourage but discourage Timothy in his ministry. Also, it was to remind Timothy of his responsibility of preserving and preaching the gospel, which was entrusted to him, and to ask Timothy to visit him in prison. Also, to warn Timothy of the dangers of false teachers that were coming up during that time. But let's not forget, this was also for us, written for us. For this is inspired text, and it is just as relevant for us as it was for them. We may not be Timothy, but we also face discouragement as he faced it during his ministry. We may not be pastors of churches, but we all have a place in the church. We all have something to offer. And so verse 1 reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The letter opens in a very Paul-like introduction which he states is divinely appointed office, confirming his authority and the purpose of this appointment, or in other words, why he was chosen. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, a messenger of extraordinary status, bringing an extraordinary message. Yet he's not some rogue messenger on his own mission. He is constrained by Jesus Christ, possessed by Jesus Christ, under the ownership of Christ, this is Paul basically listing his credentials, which gave him the right to speak authoritatively to both Timothy and the Ephesian congregation through this letter. 
And some scholars find it kind of strange that Paul would open his letter in such a way, considering the personal tone of the rest of the letter, as opposed to like uh, his tone in 1 Timothy. But this is likely due to a combination of reasons. Um, first of all, Paul was the older man, so as his mentor, he had the right to speak in such a way. Also, the letter was not just written to Timothy, but also it was going to be to read to the Ephesian congregation. And also, Paul's special place as an apostle would give him that right. So the phrase here, by the will of God, grounds Paul's apostleship to divine action. It's not something Paul chose on his own. It was given to him by God himself. And it was given according to the promise of life, of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Here is the reason, the purpose of Paul's calling, the message of salvation that lost, that the lost may have life in Christ. You see, the stakes are high. Paul makes it known that this, this is serious. This is important. Remember, this letter was meant as an encouragement to a young minister who was struggling right now. Paul, even in his introduction, highlights the importance of Timothy's calling. Paul is saying, Timothy, Ephesian church, CF, listen and take note. What you're involved is important. It is serious. It's this as regards the gospel, the Christian faith. Remain firm. Remain steadfast. Remain firm. Remain steadfast. Verse 2 continues. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here we are introduced to the recipient of the letter, Timothy. An example, and an example of the personal tone of the letter. He calls him beloved. It is interesting that the description of Timothy differs from that in, in, in 1 Timothy and also in Titus, where Paul calls them true child. But here he says beloved child. Now this word beloved certainly refers to the affection Paul feels for Timothy. But it also refers to the father-like authority that Paul has over Timothy, which connects well with Paul's exhortations for Timothy to continue Paul's mission, to take Paul's place as the next in line. Timothy is thus another chain link within the growing Christian community, a faith passed down from older to younger, a chain link that displays faithfulness and steadfastness, a chain link that will never falter, for God is faithful. We too, CF, we too, CF, are part of that lineage. The lineage of faith. We too have been entrusted with the gospel. Now it is our turn to continue that chain link, that lineage. Remain steadfast, church. Remain faithful. Remain steadfast, church. Paul continues, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul prays for his discouraged friend. What discouraged Christian wouldn't want grace, mercy, and peace? Yet we often find that God has giving, given us these things to us and continues to do so. We often forget that God is good, that he delights in giving us good things. 
The worries of this world often cloud our knowledge of these truths. Just as they did for Timothy, we forget that we have a good father. It continues in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Paul now moves from his introduction to his exhortation, or to his instruction to Timothy. I thank God. So, in verse 5, we will learn what Paul is actually thankful for. Paul is known for his run-on sentences, so it takes him a few verses to actually tell us what he's thankful for. So, once we get to verse 5, we'll find out what he's, what he's thankful for. But as we have seen in verse 2, Paul speaks to Timothy as to a son, encouraging him to carry on in his ministry. Here Paul presents himself as an example of someone who has remained faithful with the heritage of faith that he has received. Paul makes these connections for two main reasons. To confirm that Timothy and the Ephesian congregation which he is speaking to is part of the true lineage of faith. But also, above all, Paul may be trying to establish an encouraging parallel between himself and Timothy as men who have inherited their faith from their forebears. And we're going to return to this theme in much more detail once we get to verse 5. Paul mentions that he serves with a pure conscience, meaning his faith was real. It wasn't fake. He served the Lord faithfully. And the simple overview of Paul's life proves this. 2 Corinthians 11:24-28 says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. See, Paul lived faithfully. He can say confidently that he served his Lord with a clear conscience. Now think about this. Paul is writing from prison. Remaining faithful to the gospel is not a ticket to an easy life. Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. Paul was thrown into prison for being faithful. What would become of his reputation? What would his opponents say? That he was punished by God? Yet Paul could say from himself, I have served my Lord with a clear conscience. Being faithful to the call of God means going against the grain. It means being countercultural. It means standing out. We don't like to stand out. It's uncomfortable. What will people think of me? What will become of my reputation? I pray that at the end, at the end of my days, just as Paul was at the end of his, I could also confidently say, I have served with a clear conscience. Yet we cannot do this on our own, and Paul knows this. 
That's why he's, he then says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. We need God's help. We need God's help. Look at the adjective Paul uses, constantly. He understands and values the power of prayer. This Christian thing is hard. We cannot do it without prayer. As a community, let's be intentional. Let's look out for one another. Let's notice one another's needs. I know CF believes in prayer. Let's pray for one another. Verse 4 continues this thought. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. This verse tells us how Paul prays for Timothy. He longs to see him because he remembers his tears. We again see the intimate bond of affection between Paul and Timothy. The illusion, the illusion created in remembering is intensely personal and emotional. And we are, often, and we are only left to wonder what event, what sorrowful event that Paul is referring to here. Again, CF, we need one another. We are relational beings created for unity. The church exists for a reason. There's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. The author to the Hebrews writes, do not neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. This theme we see running through these passages, the theme of persevering in the faith, of steadfastness, of faithfulness in the Christian walk, this cannot be realized without the help of community. We witness this throughout all scripture. Look at the Israelites. There were 12 tribes, and they worked together and fought together. And consider the detriment that the split of the kingdom caused. Consider Moses, who chose leaders for the people of Israel because of how difficult it was for him to carry out all the tasks alone. Consider Jesus choosing 12 disciples to carry out his mission. Consider the church in Acts. Every member doing his or her part for the building up of the church. We need community. Church, we need community. Get involved. Join Alexia Divina Group. Meet with a church family. When community groups start, join one. Just please don't isolate yourself. Don't do lone wolf Christianity. And what a blessing that community is. Paul notes the joy that will come when he, when he will see Timothy again. The verb here, filled here, means complete joy, filled to the brim. Let's fill one another with joy, guys. Verse 5 continues. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. So here, we finally learn why Paul is thankful in verse 3. I thank God because I'm reminded of your sincere faith. The word sincere translates here meaning, means literally without play acting, indicating the lack of pretentiousness in Timothy's faith. And the word faith here should be understood as piety or simply the Christian way of life. Paul affirms the faith of his colleague and likely creates a contrast with the false teachers that he will 
bring up later in the letter. Timothy, Paul says, your faith is real. I know you're discouraged. But I know you. I affirm your faith. What an important reminder for the discouraged heart. Your weariness has not disqualified you. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to be exhausted. The Lord is not disappointed in you. The Lord loves you. As we already saw in verse 3, where Paul connects his faith to his ancestors, Paul here reminds Timothy of the faith of his mother and grandmother, of his mother and grandmother, reminding Timothy of his Christian heritage. In continuation of this theme of faithfulness, let's remind ourselves of our heritage. Maybe it was both of our parents. Maybe it was one parent or a grandparent, like in Timothy's case. Or maybe it was someone like Paul who took us under their wing, who nurtured our faith, who was there for us. Later today, call that person. Thank them for their faithfulness to what they gave you. Pray for them. Thank God for them. For me, that person was my father. My father is a man I greatly respect. And his reverence really inspired my own faith, my own journey. I was able to connect with him this past Father's Day really um, encouraging talk with him. So every time I think of that man, I, I get so encouraged. I, I just, his faith was so real. He's been so real to me, and I see that. There's, not a, there's no one else in my life that has so impacted my faith in my family. Now I want to challenge you that person you're thinking of, be that person to someone else. Be the blessing that you want to receive. Verse 6 says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For this reason. So, this is clearly connected to the previous verse. Paul is essentially saying, because of the faith present in you, fan into flame the gift of God. But, what exactly does that mean? So the idea in fan into flame is basically make use of. And the gift was Paul's, or not Paul's, Timothy's effectiveness in ministry. The commentator I. Howard Marshall notes that this should not be understood as implying that the fire is extinguished, or nearly so, but that it must be kept burning brightly. Paul here encourages this, this, the seemingly disheartened Timothy in his giftedness as a pastor. Ephesus was a large city. It was one of the main centers of trade in the ancient world. It was home to the largest amphitheater of its time. It was also home to the temple of Artemis, the Greek goddess. 
The worship of Artemis was a very important part for the people of Ephesus. And you could only imagine the difficulties of doing ministry in such a place. Paul then reminds Timothy of the personal witness he has to Timothy's gift. The gift is in you through the laying on of my own hands. I was with you, Paul says. I know your giftedness. Just as I could affirm your faith, I can affirm your gift. Now, the laying on of hands was a method enacted by elders in ordination, as could be seen in 1 Timothy. This is not, however, here presented as a formula for receiving gifts. Like, that if you want a gift, someone just lays their hands on you and you get the gift. And this is made clear in the next verse, which connects the gift to the work of the Spirit. The work of God was the necessary component, working through the laying on of hands and receiving this gift. This ceremony also acted as a public affirmation that the person was fit for this role. Paul thus exhorts Timothy, continue using the gift God has given you. Continue in the ministry. Stay steadfast. Remain faithful with what you have been given. Church, we are called to recognize our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who clearly possess a God-given gift and yet feel discouraged in using this gift. We are called to encourage them and with our testimony verbally reauthenticate their giftedness. Just as we are called to recognize the gifts in others, we are also called to use our own gifts. If God has given you a gift, use it. Don't waste your gift. Don't waste your gift. Verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here Paul continues the thought of verse 6, further elaborating on it. Paul essentially saying, I remind you to keep using the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. You see, God has not given you a spirit of fear. But what, but to who exactly does us refer to in God gave us? If spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit, which I believe it does, one might must determine if it's used in the general sense, referring to, um, referring to God's gift to every believer, or if us here refers to only Paul and Timothy, with the gift being understood in like a more narrow sense, like in a reference, not as a reference to conversion, but as their ministerial effectiveness or their calling into ministry. The determining factor, I think, is that the qualities here associated with the Spirit are in no way exclusive to leaders. So the, the Spirit of not fear, but of power, love, and self-control, these things are not exclusive to leaders. And I think so, therefore, I think that the us here, and God gave us, is a reference to all believers. So what has the Spirit given to us? A Spirit not of fear. The word used here for fear here means lack of mental or moral strength, a cowardly disposition. It seems Timothy struggled with fear in his public witness. 
1 Corinthians 16.10 strengthens this conclusion, which says, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. You see, the Spirit is always with us if we are God's children. If you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Spirit is within you. He's the comforter, the source of our peace and comfort. He's our comfort. Power. Power here means the potential to function in some way. And specifically in this context, power refers to courageousness, which is the opposite of fear. In verse 8, Paul will tell Timothy he is able to suffer with him for the gospel according to the power of God. You see, it is God who causes us to persevere. Love. 1 John 4.18 teaches that love drives out, drives out fear, the fear that was in Timothy's heart. When we are conscious of God's love for us, it is easier to let go of fear. Self-control. This denotes the exercise of wisdom. Timothy surely needs this in, his leading, in leading the Ephesian church. And we need it too. Often when we are discouraged, we don't know what to do. Divine wisdom helps us here. In all this, Paul is attempting to highlight the fact of the reality of God's help in our lives. If Timothy couldn't live out the Christian life and fulfill his service to the Lord, then we cannot either. We need the Spirit's help in our lives. We too, just as Timothy have received the Spirit. We too, with confidence and absence of fear, can be a public witness of our Lord. Church, we have been called, entrusted with the gospel, called to be faithful, to remain steadfast. Paul's encouragement to Timothy in this passage is just as relevant for us today. We too are prone, even very prone, to discouragement. Christian life is difficult, yet we are not alone. We have the rich privilege to stand in a long line of faith. Many have come before us and completed their journey. Let's remember those who walked before us, who taught us and showed us what it means to be a Christian. Church, let's be a community that is intentional about recognizing one another. Let's encourage the discouraged. Let's encourage one another in the use of our gifts. Please, don't bury your gifts. And finally, let's lean into our Lord. Tell him about your doubts and your fears. Trust him. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Church, let us remain steadfast. Let us remain faithful with what we have been entrusted. That we might one day say, as Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Father, 
as we read your word, we are encouraged to continue on, to remain steadfast. Just as Paul penned this letter, do through the work of your spirit has made this word known to us and to our hearts. We are prone to discouragement. We are prone to pain and suffering, yet you still love us, God. You are there. You cause us to persevere through the power that you give, Lord. Let us hold on to you, to your truth, to the truth that is in the scriptures. Let us not be led by our feelings by what the truth says. Help us, Lord, to remain steadfast. Help us be a community that recognizes one another. God, to look back at the rich heritage that we have, to consider those who walked before us and have finished the race, who have fought well, to see them as an example. God, let us be here for one another as a community pray for one another, encourage one another, encourage one another in the use of our gifts, to build up this church, to be a blessing to one another within this community. Help us, Lord. Lead us. We need you. We need you. We cannot do this alone.